Harriet Smith and welcome to Dietitian Cafe where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. In this episode I'm joined by fellow friend and dietitian Maeve Hannon, better known as Dietetically Speaking on social media. We will be finding out how a night at Skeptics in the Pub inspired Maeve's work on social media to debunk nutrition myths as well as her experiences as a digital nomad and her mission to build a supportive online community for remote-based dietitians and nutritionists. Maeve is a consultant dietitian. She has a range of experience in clinical nutrition and nutrition communications. She's a founder of Dietetically Speaking, which promotes evidence-based nutrition messages online and on social media. She currently works in private practice with clients, companies, and brands, and she also lectures on nutrition-related topics. Maeve recently released her first book, Your No-Nonsense Guide to Eating Well, which is available on Amazon in a variety of ebook formats. Hello, Maeve. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me on. So before we dive straight into all your great social media work, I think a burning question for all our listeners is how on earth have you ended up in nutrition and dietetics? Good place to start. Um, so I had an interest in food and health from a fairly young age. Um, my parents are quite foodie and they traveled a lot. So we always grew up with lots of different types of food in the house. And then when I started to think about, you know, as a teenager, what do I actually want to do with my life? I was torn between a few areas. I was thinking, okay, will I be a teacher? I was thinking a primary school teacher. I was interested in psychology. And then I was also interested in nutrition. And then I learned that dietitian was an option. And that just seemed like the perfect combination of education, psychology, nutrition. Um, so yeah, that's the, the road I went down. And tell us a bit more about where you did your training. Was that in, the, um, in England? Was that in Ireland where you're originally from? Yeah, so I'm from the Republic of Ireland and I went to university in Northern Ireland. So in the UK, um, it was University of Ulster Coleraine. So um, yeah, I really enjoyed it there. It's quite a small university and there's quite a strong research focus at that university. They have a research center called Niche there. Um, and then, so you do your training. So at the time that I did my training, you did your three full years in university and in your third year, you did your dissertation and everything. And then your final year was your placement year. So you did your placement one and two, basically one after another in the one year. Um, so they were placements all within Northern Ireland in the NHS. And during your degree, did you have any idea what you wanted to do at the end when you graduated as a dietitian? I wasn't really sure. I just, I wanted to get a bit more practical experience. So I knew that I want to um, get a band five job in the in the NHS to start with, just to kind of consolidate everything that I'd learned on placement. And then beyond that, I didn't really have an idea of exactly what areas I wanted to work in or, you know, the freelance world. That wasn't really something I'd strongly considered. I think it was in the back of my mind. And I had seen um, some talks by some freelance dietitians and I definitely found that um, an exciting area. I think I'm more, I had more clarity about what I didn't want to do. So I think when I was on placement and things, seeing the very acute side of things, um, you know, intensive care, that kind of thing terrified me. Um, and I know I had some interest in um, pediatrics in, again, with, with my interest in psychology, I think eating disorders, disordered eating had always been an interest as well. Um, but apart from that, I hadn't really decided that, you know, there was one specific path I wanted to go down. I just wanted to get a bit of experience and then, you know, see what I learned from that. So what were your first steps after graduating? Did you go straight into a dietetic role or did you take some time out? 
So I, I went basically straight into a role, basically straight in. So I had six months between um, when I finished my placement and graduating, and we were told like not to apply for jobs during that time. So what I did in that time was I did a teacher, an English teacher training certificate called CELTA. So my plan with that was because I knew that I want to go traveling and I thought I'd when I went traveling, I kind of thought it'd be easier if I was like teaching English rather than I didn't really see an option for I could travel as a dietitian. Um, so so I did that and I ended up doing some English teaching in Dublin in some of the language schools, but I never actually taught English in a foreign country. Um, it's funny that actually when I did go traveling, I did work as a dietitian. I kind of found a way to be a, a dietetic digital nomad. Um, but I found that 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 experience of the teacher training course, it really helped in terms of my dietetic career, just around communication and language and I guess all the social media communication as well. Um, so that's what I did initially. And then I graduated. And then I remember I just applied for so many jobs once I could. And I had this one week of interviews all over in England. And there was like five different interviews I had in the one week. I see if I can remember exactly where they were. And I was just going like all over the UK. So I started off in Exeter and then I went to Sunderland and then it was down to Liverpool and then it was the Wirral and then it was down to Poole in the very south. Um, so this was all within kind of about seven days. I was just traveling all around. Um, and I knew I'd do that. We were told at university basically at the time that we would all need to go over to England to get a job. Um, at least initially. So that's just really what I plan to do. Um, and then I I got a job in Sunderland Royal Hospital as a band five rotational dietitian. And that was what I wanted. I just wanted to get that variety of experience. Um, so yeah, I started there and my plan was just to work for about a year and then go traveling. Um, but I ended up staying for about five years before I went traveling. And the traveling is something that we're very interested in chatting to you about because you alluded to it earlier. You were a digital nomad dietitian. So how did you combine traveling the world whilst working as a dietitian and making money? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was something it felt really new at the time and it felt like I was just figuring it out as I went. Um, basically, my partner is a web developer, so he's been working remotely for years now and I could see just how flexible that was for him and that when we went traveling, he could just continue to work. Um, and I wanted to get a little bit of that for myself as well. Um, so basically what I did was, so I'd already started Dietetically Speaking by this stage. So I started that about two years in, after I graduated. Um, and when I started Dietetically Speaking, then I started to have some people approach me to do some health writing or some consultancy work. So I was doing kind of little bits on the side of my full-time NHS role. Um, so then I, when I decided to take the plunge and finally I was like, right, I, I need to go traveling. I know there's something I really want to do. So I went fully freelance then in 2018. And so I kept on some of the jobs I had on the side and I, I wasn't working like full-time when I was traveling. Um, I basically, I had a few projects and it was enough to kind of keep me going and to pay for traveling. Um, but it wasn't really like a full-time job, but that suited me well because I wanted to have time to travel and explore and see the sites and everything. Um, so yeah, we used a few like remote working spaces um, while we were away. We tried to just set boundaries so that, you know, we weren't spending too much of our time working 
instead of actually experiencing um, the countries we were in. Um, and yeah, it was great. It just worked out as like a really good balance and it meant that we could continue to travel for a little bit longer. What sorts of projects were you working on when you were traveling the world? Was it writing projects? Was it consultancy work? Yeah, it was a bit of both. I had one um, quite stable consultancy contract that I set up just before I went. So that was really good timing. Um, and that was with a fairly big company. So that was um, I had like a monthly contract set up with them. So that was like a day a week I was doing. Um, so that was perfect. And then on top of that, there were kind of a few articles here and there. So for some industry publications and um, for some online like websites and things. Um, and then I so I registered with the BDA freelance site as well. So you can advertise yourself on there. And then I got a few other consultancy projects, kind of one off consultancy projects through there. Um, so, yeah, so I really had the kind of the one stable consultancy job and then just whatever else came my way. If I was interested or if I had time, I kind of did that as well. And you're also running dietetically speaking by this point. Um, so I just want to jump back a couple of steps and ask you a burning question for me. How did that night in Skeptics in the Pub lead to you creating such a successful social media presence? Yeah, so uh, Skeptics in the Pub, for anyone who isn't aware, um, it's this event that takes place monthly. They're all over the world. You know, loads of different towns in the UK have local Skeptics in the Pub group. And they're obviously happening online at the moment um, instead of being in person. But basically, it's once a month, people meet up and it's people who have an interest in science, reason, critical thinking. And there's there'll be like a specific talk each month about that. So like an expert in a certain area. Um, and they always with well, one I used to go to in Newcastle had an open mic night in September. And so me, and my friends have been going to this and I was it was just really opening my eyes. And I was like, God, oh, this is what you know, dietitians do. It's all about obviously science, reason, critical thinking, but specifically related to nutrition. So I was thinking dietitians should really be getting involved in this. So I'd already been thinking about starting the blog before then. So my partner, Anthony, had been encouraging me to do that for a while. Um, again, because he's techie, he was like, I'll take care of, you know, the website and some of the technical side of things and you just focus on the content. Um, so that took a lot of the pressure away and just made it a lot more realistic for me to do that. But then it was when I decided to sign up for the open mic, that was me properly committing. That gave me a date. I was like, okay, that's the day I'm going to release the blog. I'm going to start Facebook group and everything. And I remember it was right down to the wire, like the night before that. And uh, we were up like really late, like putting up my first blog post, sorting out the website. Um, and it was good for me to do that because I would have some perfectionist tendencies. I'm getting better at that. But it was I could see myself. I could have just chipped away at it and kept going back and changing it if I didn't have that deadline of like, you just have to release it and just see how it goes. Um, so, yeah, that's how it worked for me. So you got up on the open mic. And what mm -hmm. did you talk about? I talked about it was about fad diets. I think it was 10 reasons to avoid fad diets, which was my first blog post. Um, and it was like a 15 minute slot. There was, I think like four other people doing a talk as well. Um, and I really enjoyed that, I guess, you know, from my background in teaching and I used to do, um, like quite a few shows and musicals and that kind of thing. I quite like presenting and being on stage. Um, so I enjoyed that and yeah. And then like, it was, it was just exciting just to see because I was re I started out on Facebook. I didn't have like an Instagram or a Twitter when I started and I gradually brought them. I kind of added them on. And now like Instagram would really be my main platform. 
Um, but yeah, it was exciting just to see kind of how social media worked in that way and like see the support and the interest start to build because I had no expectations for it really. It was just a hobby. It was something for my own interest. You know, I just wanted to try and bust some myths around nutrition, spread some evidence-based messages. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have any kind of plans beyond that. It was just really a hobby. So the platform has grown significantly. I think it's fair to say over the last few years, you've now got tens of thousands of followers. So why do you think your platform has grown so successfully? And um, I suppose, how do you think it has grown as it has? Is it through posting consistent content? Is it through collaborations? What What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, I think both of those factors are definitely part of it. Um, I definitely at the start, you know, I didn't have a specific strategy or anything for it. I was just posting about topics that interested me really and, you know, things I want to learn about and write about or um, because that's how I find it helps me to learn if I'm teaching somebody else about something. It really helps me to get a better understanding myself. So that was part of it. And I guess what I try to do is to cover topics which interest myself and my audience on a semi-consistent basis. And that's kind of my main strategy or that's what I try to do. Um, but I do try and be a bit flexible with it. So if we're talking about consistency, I know a lot of the advice is, you know, to be posting in some form every day um, in terms of keeping engagement up and everything. But I take that type of thing with a pinch of salt because I try and focus on quality over quantity and I try and look at it in the context of all my work. And although social media is one really important part of that, it's not the only thing I do and I can't let it you know, become the only thing I do. I have other other responsibilities as well. Um, so yeah, so I try and focus more on the quality. I try and post, you know, two or three times a week at least. Um, but sometimes I'll just have to say to my audience, I'm sorry, I'm just really busy at the moment. You know, I'll be back as soon as I can with some more content. And I think, yeah, more recently you do pick up, um, I don't know, like tips and advice about how it works as you go along. And I think really focusing on your audience and asking them what they want. That's been something that's been really helpful and in terms of the growth side of things, um, yeah, it's hard to say. There was, there's been certain bits of content that have just like took off pretty well. You know, quite a few people have shared them. And if somebody with a big following shares your content, then you do seem to see um, an increase in your followers based on that. So um, I remember when I started working with the food medic, for example, and she'd tag me in a post or a story and, you know, literally within an hour, I'd see an extra like thousand followers or something. Um, so, yes, you can definitely see it when when others are sharing your content. Um, and, yeah, I think networking with others on social media as well. That's been part of it. But I think it's been just kind of gradual overall. And have you um, actually gained work through having that presence on social media? Because I know you do a lot of freelance work. Do you think that's helped? Definitely. Um, so that's where... It's really how I've ended up as a freelance dietitian um, because when I started dietetically speaking, it was fairly soon after that, that certain like industry publications and things asked me to start writing for them. And then it was almost like I unintentionally started to build up a writing portfolio. That was kind of the blog and then some of the industry publications I was writing for. Um, so, yeah, so I have definitely, I mean, most of the opportunities I've had have been people contacting me kind of related to social media or from finding me on social media. Um, it's only more recently that I've become more active and kind of, you know, looking for stuff and putting myself out there a little bit more. Um, and then in terms of the 
because I do uh, one-on-one telehealth consultations as well. So again, most of my clients find me through Instagram. Um, but then I guess, you know, the more people you work with, then word of mouth and recommendations and things start to come into it as well. Or, or people just finding you on Google or on the internet. Um, so yeah, I do think it's, it's definitely opened a lot of doors for me and it's, it's led me down this path of being a freelance dietitian, which I love. I just love the flexibility. I love, um, you know, the, the fact you can focus on the areas that you're really passionate about. Um, and in terms of, you know, your time and how you structure your day and your week and everything, um, I really enjoy that flexibility as well. So how does it feel to be what some people might refer to as a social media influencer? We had a chat before we started uh-huh. recording and Maeve, I think you're going to correct me on the, the terminology there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I have been referred to as an influencer. I don't really think of myself as an influencer. I was looking this up recently because I wanted to find out. I was like, well, what is actually the definition of this? I had kind of an idea of what it is. Um, But there's one kind of vague definition, which is somebody who affects or changes the way that people behave. Or there's one that's more specific to social media. And it's a person who's paid by a company to show or describe its products or services or encourage people to buy them. So it's very much like marketing sales focused. And although, you know, I do some promotion of my services and I have worked with companies and things on social media, that's definitely not the main thing that I do. It's it's mainly nutrition and science communication. So I don't think I f- fit into that category or I wouldn't, you know, align myself with that. Um, so, yeah, so I just I don't necessarily see myself as an influencer. Yeah, and I think we were discussing earlier, there's a real need in the profession at the moment for more guidelines on um, dietitians who are on social media and how to um, work with brands um, with integrity and in line with sort of HCPC and BDA guidance. Do you know if, if, there, if there's any guidance for dietitians on social media? Yeah, um, the BDA have a good guideline on social media. Um, I forget the exact title, but if you Google social media BDA, um it's a good kind of overall um breakdown of kind of putting yourself out, out there on social media but also just if you have a personal social media profile and um just as a health professional just some of the things to think about and then obviously it's the our guidance from the HCPC as well um in terms of our code of practice and everything comes into it but I would love to see something more specific around um working with as you were saying brands and companies because um, I think it is an area that's really important that we are, um, you know, acting in a responsible way. Um, but we also, you know, I do think it's important for dietitians to be working with brands and companies because, you know, we have all this evidence-based knowledge and, you know, we should be there to support and influence brands, you know, rather than, um, than them not having that support and, you know, possibly um, be more likely to spread misinformation or to frame things in an unhelpful or, you know, in a more sensationalist way, maybe. I do think it's important for us to to do that work. Um, but obviously we just need to be careful about it and make sure we're doing it in the right way. Yeah, I agree. And we're going to be talking about that more on the podcast in a um, subsequent series. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to what you said about being on social media, are there any pros and cons of being on these platforms? Yeah, definitely. Um, so when I think about the pros, I think... I mean, having a larger audience to share evidence-based nutrition messages with rather than, you know, just doing it one-on-one. Obviously, the one-on-one work is really valuable, 
but I also think it's valuable being able to spread those messages a little bit wider um, just in terms of getting the message out there really. I found as well the virtual networking has been so valuable so just you know building connections with other people in the evidence-based nutrition space um, in terms of you know my own CPD as I said you know that was part of the reason that I started it it was I was interested in learning and writing about different topics and it's kind of like brought CPD to life for me. It used to be something that I felt like I should do. And I was always thinking I wasn't doing enough, but it just happens quite organically, I guess, when you're creating content and you're always, you know, researching different areas and different questions. And I also find it um, just kind of creative and fun. Cause I guess if you have, you know, a clinical kind of scientific focus, I like being able to, you know, focus on making graphics or making videos or, um, you know, how do I bring this message to life a little bit more? Um, and then there's also, of course, then the work opportunity side of things that we've discussed. And in any, terms of, mm-hmm. I was going to say any cons, any cons. Yeah. Um, so there are definitely cons as well. So it's time consuming, as you know, um, it can be hard to switch off. So especially if you're not setting your boundaries with social media, what I find myself anyway is, I'm much more likely to spend more time on social media because I can justify it to myself. I'm like, oh, this is work. I'm working right now when actually I could just be mindlessly scrolling and, you know, not doing anything productive. Um, a little bit of that's okay, but obviously you don't want to, you know, have your whole day on social media. Um, so setting those boundaries is really important. And then also you're putting yourself out there. So there is a risk of criticism um, and that is something to be aware of. So it's not something, you know, I've been quite like, pleasantly surprised I think I expected that there might be worse in terms of backlash and things you know putting yourself out there on social media and what I've found is it's more people that are just really passionate about a certain topic Um, and so rather than somebody you know just trying to troll you obviously that does happen as well and that's awful when that happens but for the most part it's I guess you know nutrition it's so personal and it can be so tribal and that if you talk about a certain topic there's going to be some passionate responses Um, So just being prepared for that as well. So for me, I feel the pros really outweigh the cons, but it is important to be aware of the cons as well. Definitely. Yeah. And you talked about the importance of having a supportive community um, on social media and remotely. Can you tell us a bit more about Nutrimote, your remote community that you set up for dietitians and nutritionists? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, So this is uh, something myself and my partner, Anthony, who I've mentioned already, um, set up back in April, I think it was. Um, So basically, there was a stage when I was looking for more remote work opportunities, because, as I said, I had that experience as a digital nomad. And I saw, you know, all the benefits and all the flexibility that came along with that. And so I I wanted to work remotely again, basically. And um, when I was searching it, I was finding there was so little, like I wanted to find a place where, um, you know, I could find resources or I could actually find jobs and um, that were fully remote for nutrition professionals. And I was like, this isn't fair. Like there's so much in the tech space, obviously. So, you know, Anthony, there were so many opportunities and things, and I just felt like it wasn't really there for nutrition. And actually when I was Googling this, what kept coming up was like some articles that I'd written myself about being a digital nomad, um, which was kind of funny. So, it just felt like it was a bit of a gap that needed to be filled. And it, this was obviously, you know, when I was starting to think about this, this was all before the pandemic. So it was more, it felt like a kind of like an up and coming area rather than, you know, this remote working being something a bit more urgent or something that was going to happen all of a sudden. 
Um, so yeah, so myself and Anthony then thought, okay, well, our combined skills. So he has the tech side of things. He's a lot of experience working remotely. And then I've, you know, the nutrition knowledge and then the, um, you know, some experience working as a dietitian remotely as well. So we thought we could start to work on something um, to support other nutrition professionals who, similar to me, want to work remotely, like maybe not full-time remotely. Some people like to have some, you know, part-time remote work and um, other people want to work fully remotely. So we thought we'd like to put something together to support those people. And we, I'd kind of put it on the back burner in my mind. I was like, oh, I'm busy enough. I have all this stuff going on. It probably would have been like 2021 by the time we'd actually um, start to release it or start to think about it seriously. But then the pandemic hit and everything changed. And all of a sudden there were so many people that didn't have a choice and just sort of had to work remotely. Um, and people, you know, had to change their businesses or, you know, people who are working for the NHS as well, all of a sudden had to work remotely. Well, not all of them, but some people did. Um, so, yeah, so we just thought it was the right time then to start to sort of bring together this group of people and start to provide some more resources and some more support. Um, so, yeah, so that's why we kind of fast tracked it, really. And the aim is to provide both remote job opportunities and then also resources for nutrition professionals who want to work remotely. And we're currently adding some new features to the website to kind of take that to the next step. Great. And we can link to your website in the show notes. Um, you've also built a social media community for Nutrimote. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a bit more about what happens on, in these social media groups? Yeah. So like the Facebook group is really the main place um, for the the Nutrimote hub so we have like the website and the mailing list um but yeah the Facebook group is where like, the main community is um and yeah we kind of we we all support each other in there um we do like Facebook live series now and then so we've had two series already so different topics related to working remotely and um, we've recorded live videos which are still all in the Facebook page or in the Facebook group um we yeah and then we, I guess we just ask you know what do people need what sort of support um, and just see you know where we can fill those gaps and Anthony does like Tech Tuesday so he'll share a post every Tuesday related to something techy or you know explaining something and um, because that's part of it as well is that I just felt really lucky that I had Anthony to support me with all of this and I don't know if, if I would have went down this route without that support because I found the whole tech side of things quite overwhelming but then the more exposure you get with it, like, like anything, you know, you get on top of it and it doesn't seem so overwhelming or daunting. But that's where I kind of want to offer that support for other nutrition professionals, um, you know, who maybe don't have that extra support specifically around the tech side of things. So that was kind of part of it as well. Brilliant. Um, going back to social media, do you think that um, more dietitians and nutritionists should be on social media? And if so, do you have any advice for people starting out? Yeah, um, so I think definitely overall, I mean, the more evidence-based nutrition voices we can get out there on social media, the better. Obviously, there's so much nonsense and there's so many, you know, self-proclaimed experts sharing nutrition information that I think it's definitely positive when we see more evidence-based nutrition professionals coming through. At the same time, I think it's personal. So I don't think, you know, maybe it's not for everyone. And especially if somebody finds that maybe they have a more negative relationship with social media or it's not something that they want to be doing. I don't think we have to be doing it. You know, we can still make quite a lot of difference by the way we speak to our friends and family or even on our social media without creating a specific platform. Um, But for those that do, yeah, I would absolutely encourage them if somebody is interested in that. 
Um, and some of the things to think about would be around. So how are you going to bring those nutrition messages to life? And, you know, everyone will put their own spin on things. Um, but just ways of incorporating storytelling, you know, graphics, videos, you know, adding in maybe statistics or humor, like showing a bit of your personality. But it's always about that balance between providing engaging content uh, while still being professional. So it is always like a little tightrope, I guess, that we walk. And then the in terms of the guidelines, so we've spoken about some of the social media guidelines. There's also like the ASA advertising standard guidelines to be aware of. But what really most of the guidelines come down to is being honest and responsible with your content. So being transparent and obviously, you know, we would be sharing evidence based information anyway, but just, you know, making sure you're doing that. Um, and then setting boundaries as well. So we've spoken about how it can be easy just to you know, that divide between sort of work and home can become quite gray or, you know, it can kind of merge together. Um, if you're also, if social media also becomes a bit of part of your work or it's kind of related to your work. So setting yourself boundaries in terms of taking breaks from social media as well, or only going on for a certain amount of time per day. Um, and just minding yourself. So as I said, there is that risk of negative feedback or, you know, being confronted by keyboard warriors. And with that, I mean, I think, dietitians were quite well equipped for that in terms of our conflict resolution skills you know we're used to speaking about these emotive issues with people um and you know in terms of bringing in things like motivational interviewing and things where you know you don't fight fire with fire um and if you try and find you know some some shared values for example you might be able to plant a seed for somebody for a lot of the time, it's unlikely you're going to totally change someone's mind if they have a really passionate opinion about something during that one conversation. You could plant a seed um, and it has happened where somebody will change their mind. But, you know, sometimes you will have to agree to disagree as well and just set your boundary. And if someone, of course, is being, um, you know, threatening or inappropriate, you know, delete block report. Like you said, hopefully the pros of social media outweigh all those um, yeah exactly yeah. and in my experience that really doesn't happen very often but yeah it's just something to be aware of yeah definitely um I just want to ask you a bit more about your freelance work Maeve because mm -hmm. um you mentioned earlier you you have you had quite a bit of NHS experience then you went traveling did you know what you were going to do when you came back from traveling not really um so we didn't even have a plan for like how long are we going to travel for we just thought we traveled for like a year or two um, and then I got an opportunity to cover uh, maternity leave for a private practice dietitian in Ireland, one of your previous guests, actually, Orla Walsh. Um, so that was 2019. So I came back to Ireland to do that. Um, and I was in Ireland for just over a year. And then we made the decision to move back to the UK. And I knew that I wanted to work remotely. Um, so that was that was my focus really around that time. Um, and then obviously everything happened with the pandemic and we all just had to do our best and we're still just doing our best. Um, but we have since moved back to the UK. What are you up to at the moment? Are you, you're working fully freelance. Are you doing um, consultancy work? Are you lecturing? Are you seeing patients? Yeah, I'm doing all of those things, really. Um, so I do telehealth clinics um, I do lecturing um, I do, yeah, some consultancy jobs, some health writing, um, developing some online courses. Um, so, yeah, it really varies. It kind of depends, you know, what's what crops up each week, each month. Um, 
And I guess it's, it's generally under three main categories. So it's nutrition communication. So whether that's one-on-one, whether it's social media, whether it's media, whether it's webinars or online courses, or um, a lot of the consultancy work I would do would be related to nutrition communication as well. Um, then the, I guess is the more kind of clinical focus with my interest there being around disordered eating and promoting food flexibility. And then the other focus, which we've spoken about is around Nutrimote and promoting remote work opportunities for nutrition professionals. I think a lot of our listeners will be interested in knowing how these opportunities come to you. Do you go mm-hmm. and proactively um, approach companies? Is it mainly through your social media? Do you have connections? How are you finding during the pandemic all this work? Yeah, so it has really been through social media for the most part. So as I said, most of my telehealth clients, when I ask them, you know, where did they hear about the clinic? It tends to be like Instagram, social media. Um, sometimes it's, you know, recommendations from somebody else. Then also it has been, um, I guess, some connections that I've built up over the years as well. Um, and in terms of finding some of those opportunities, I've found some of them on social media as well. So on Twitter, on different Facebook groups as well. Um, and then from the like the network of other nutrition professionals that I know, you know, obviously we pass work to each other as well. Um, depending on whether it seems right for us or how busy we are. Um, and then I've had a few opportunities from the, the BDA freelance website as well. Um, so, yeah, it's a mixture of things, really, but a lot of it is in some way related to social media. Going back to your private practice, we've talked, both of us have talked before about this dilemma of whether freelance dietitians need to niche down and perhaps work in one or two specific clinical areas mm-hmm. or cover more broadly lots of different conditions and referrals what's been your experience of, of niching down Maeve yeah really interesting question and I know there's like passionate views on sort of both sides of it really um I don't think there's one simple answer because I think it depends on a few things so for example when I was working in Ireland you know, there is a real need for general private practice dietitians, just with the way the healthcare system is and you know the fact that there's fewer dietitians overall. Whereas in the UK, I feel like there is more of a need for um, private dietitians to have a niche. Again, I don't think they absolutely have to, but I think it can be a helpful thing in that setting. Um, and then I also think it depends on personal preference. So, you know, some people will have a clear idea of, okay, this is my niche, this is my focus. And, you know, for myself, when I've I've made that decision more recently to focus on a niche and it's been great, it's been less overwhelming for me, considering that I do all these other types of work in terms of communication and Nutrimote and everything. It's been really nice for me just to focus on this one clinical area that I find, you know, really rewarding, really interesting. So, yeah, I think there's there's pros and cons like everything. I don't think there's one answer. And I know really successful private dietitians who've taken either approach. Um, so. I think like most of my answers when I'm talking about nutrition and things, it depends really. Definitely. And um, disordered eating is clearly one of your passions. You've mentioned it several times. Is that the same as having a diagnosed eating disorder such as anorexia nervosa? And um, what's your approach to working with these patients? Yeah. So when we're talking about disordered eating, it's usually more the subclinical eating disorders. So it's not quite um, at the clinical diagnosis and again, because I'm working remotely, um, you know, as a private dietitian, 
it's not, you know, you don't have a whole team around you. Obviously, you're working with other healthcare professionals, you know, in terms of um, psychology and um, a client's doctor. So it's not generally those, um, the more severe end of the scale in terms of eating disorders. Um, so it's more the subclinical that I tend to work with. And because it's such a spectrum, obviously, from, you know, so-called normal eating all the way up to dieting, disordered eating, um, and then clinical eating disorders. Um, so, yeah, so it's slightly more kind of in the middle or the subclinical area that I generally am focusing on. Um, I am going to be doing some work, though, with my local mental health trust, and that's going to be more in the, the clinical eating disorders area. Um, and I do have some experience with clinical eating disorders as well, because I think that's really important that you know um, that clinical side of things. So, so you can identify risks and everything, because obviously there is an overlap and it can change. Um, so yeah, it tends to be the type of clients that I work with is people who have maybe dieted for quite a long time, have a difficult relationship with food, feel that food dominates their life in an unhealthy way. Um, I want to get a bit of freedom from that, want to look at food in a different way, want to um, put it in a different context, reframe it. And that tends to be the type of work I do. Um, it's related to the intuitive eating approach, but I don't generally call myself like an eating, uh, intuitive eating dietitian or anything um, because, you know, it's not always just that specific framework that I'm using. It will depend on the client. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's it's related to that, but it's not always exactly that. During the pandemic, obviously, it's had a profound effect on a lot of people's mental health and perhaps their eating habits as well. Have you seen that reflected in the patients that you're working with? Definitely. Um, yeah, a lot of clients reporting that and and some of the reasons where people are seeking out support. And obviously it's great when people are seeking support, um, but you can absolutely see the toll that it's taken on people's mental health and the food environment as well. So some people finding it really difficult being, you know, feeling almost trapped in the house, you know, with food around or feeling that scarcity environment, especially when there were a lot more restrictions on um, you know, how often you can leave the house and, you know, just feeling quite nervous about actually going to buy food. So it almost automatically set up that feeling of restriction for some people that, you know, I've done the shop now, I can't do it for another week or I need to just make do with this. And, you know, just adding a lot more kind of stress and anxiety related to food or related to everyone being in the house together and, you know, all of those dynamics. So, um, yeah, it's definitely had a big impact for a lot of people. And, you know, there's some research that's reflected that as well. Definitely. Yeah. And um, you're continuing now to do a balance of, of your freelance work with disordered eating patients. And um, did you mention you're beginning a role uh, in the NHS in the mental health service? Yeah, my local mental health trust. Um, I'll be doing um, some bank work there, basically. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because it's, you know, I guess it's nice to, to work with the team again, considering that I'm basically, you know, solo a lot of the time. Um, and yeah, just to, um, again, because it's related to my passion around disordered eating, but it'll be, you know, more experience in the more kind of clinical side of things as well. Yeah. Nice to have a team around you when you've mm -hmm. been working remotely for so many months. Exactly. Yeah. And I, still, I mean, I'll be doing a lot of that work remotely as well, but you'll still have connections with the team. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you very much, Maeve. Before we finish, we like to ask our guests a few quickfire questions. So I wanted to ask you, if you were a graduate dietitian again, what advice would you give to yourself now? 
Um, I'd probably reassure myself, first of all, this will all be okay. I remember feeling quite stressed at times. Um, I'd be prepared to constantly learn. And I'd also, I'd encourage myself to get out there on social media sooner. Um, you know, it took me about two years to finally decide to go for it and put myself out there. Um, so I'd probably say, you know, just go for it, give it a go. And what would you say has been your biggest achievement to date? That can be professional or personal or both. Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I guess it would be dietetically speaking, really. So like building that up, just the fact that it started out as a little hobby and now it's my main job and it's opened so many doors. Yeah, you must be very proud of that achievement. <laughs> Thank you. And the burning question, being a dietitian, if you were cast away to a desert island, what would be your last meal? <laughs> I feel like I'm cheating um, when I say this answer because... One of my favorite foods would be like a Middle Eastern type meze, but that's like loads of different foods at one meal. So it would be things like, you know, I'd have bits of falafel and hummus and halloumi and dips and flatbreads and salads. Um, so that's probably the meal I'd go for. And yeah, I'd be getting loads of different foods within that one meal. Yeah, that sounds like a, a classic dietitian meal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Maeve. Our next episode of Dietitian Cafe will be coming very soon and we will link in the show notes to um, Maeve's social media, her website and also the Nutrimote community that she was talking about earlier. Thanks for listening. Bye.